0: Thank you, Ruthann, and thank you, Anita. In light of the message of that song, let's pray together. Father, we think about your word this morning. We do want to be surrendered to you. We want to be broken and humble before you, committed to being doers of your word, and not hearers only. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Here I have a towel. When does this towel become useful or profitable for you if you have taken a bath? When does the towel become useful or profitable to you? Dry off, but what does that imply? What are you doing with it? Pardon? Pardon? You gotta use it. It is of no value if it lays and you never use it. You're a baseball player. You have a glove. When does your glove become useful or profitable to you in playing baseball, JT? When someone hits the ball. But if someone's hitting the ball, what do you have to do? You have to stop the ball, you've got to use the glove. Of what value is a glove? You never get never get around to using it, and stop and think about Scripture. We can learn Scripture, we can put it in our head, we can know, but unless we live it out, as James says, if we're hearers only, we deceive our own selves. As a psalmist says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the accounts of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. No, it's being used. It's being applied. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark, chapter 10. Three weeks ago, we discussed Mark 10, 32 through 45. We're going to read the passage. And then stop and consider how this passage applies to life. And in the context, keep in mind that Jesus has been talking about, or I should say Mark, using situations from the life of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. In Verses 13 through 16 of Mark 10, we find that Jesus said, you know, unless you become like a little child... No, you will not re- and receive the kingdom of God. You'll never enter it. A little child is helplessly dependent. The rich young ruler is one who was not willing to be helpless dependent. He wanted to trust himself. He was not willing to sell his goods and give to the poor and follow Christ. Picking up with verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Now, keep in mind, they were astonished and they were afraid because they couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying about the rich man needing to sell all that he had, give to the poor and come and follow Jesus. They couldn't grasp what it meant for someone to be first, but to be last and the last to be first. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and teachers of the law. They will commend, condemn him t- to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us, whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, clearly, in the context, Jesus is talking about his death, the fact that he came to serve. And when James and John come, you know, can we sit at your right and your left? Jesus again says, uh, you know, you're to be a servant. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And it's in the context of discipleship, following Christ. Now let's think about what Jesus has said and what that looks like in life. Some examples from life. Radical dependency for Christ involved betrayal, suffering, In the resurrection, or death and the resurrection. Jesus radically depended upon his father. Now remember, Jesus said that unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. A little child is dependent on mom and dad. The rich young man was not willing to become dependent. The twelve apparently were willing to become dependent because they left all to follow Christ. And for Jesus in 32 through 34, his dependency upon his father met betrayal, suffering, death, and the resurrection. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flag him, and kill him. That is why later on, as Jesus is in the garden, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew his dependency upon his Father meant obedience and betrayal, suffering, and death. So related to that, if you're a disciple of Jesus, not merely looking to get to heaven, expect to suffer with Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus, not merely looking to get to heaven, expect to suffer with Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3 and verse 10, I want to know Christ. He wants to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing with the sufferings of Christ. Paul says, I want to know what it means to suffer for Christ. And we know that Paul experienced that suffering. Do we view suffering as part of discipleship? Do we view suffering as part of discipleship? Now, when we think of suffering, we many times think, well, I'm going to give my life. In our country, that's not happening at this point in time. That may come in the future. I don't know. But do you ever think about suffering coming from following Christ in a little different way? You go to your job and you work hard as unto the Lord. And you're told not to work so hard because you make others look bad. And you're criticized for doing your job well. You go to school. And you listen to the teacher. You don't talk and carry on. You show respect for those in authority. Do you, you do your homework. And other kids say, oh, you just want to be a little brown noser. It's a rejection or form of rejection for following Christ. Your view of marriage. You say, well, I believe what Genesis 1 and 2 talks about marriage, you know, it's to be in the image of God. It's a one man, one woman. It's for life. (coughs) It involves a male and a female and so on. And in passing, you're talking to someone and you say, you know, this is what marriage is. And they poke fun at you and laugh at you and say, well, you know, you're behind the times. You haven't understood that the culture has changed. And you hear people at work say or school saying about you, ah, oh, that's Karen over there. She believes marriage is one man and one woman for life. She doesn't know anything about her current culture. Don't hang around her. As we think biblically, we recognize that Christ suffered following Scripture may result in some suffering, but not necessarily costing us our life. The kingdom of God involves suffering. Do we communicate this to potential followers of Christ? Do we emphasize the perks? while neglecting the suffering, the true cost. Some of the greatest rejection for Jesus came from the leaders of that day. Jesus was having a meal in Matthew's house, having a meal with the tax collectors and the sinners and what happened? he get criticized. If you reach out to sinners, you'll probably be criticized at times because you hang with them. When I say hang with them, you spend a little time with them to reach them. So you're in school. You have your lunch and you look around the cafeteria and say, who am I going to sit with? And you go over and sit with this person who is always rejected because they're considered, I won't finish a sentence, but you know, they're the reject. And you go over and sit with them. And other people say, "Huh, you hang with, and they make fun of you. You know, I saw you in the restaurant the other day, and you were in there having lunch with a prostitute. We'll put a lady in there having lunch with a prostitute. What were you doing in there having lunch with her? I care about her soul. That might take some, you might take some flack for that. The whole issue of submitting to authority. You're talking to some people and the conversation comes around to our government and most every one president is talking about the government and saying how bad it is and criticizing it and so on, you say, whoa. We've been called to pray for those in authority over us. Oh, well, they may not do everything right, and we can have an intelligent discussion, but let's not criticize them because we're to obey those in authority over us. You might take some flack for that. I'm talking the critical part where you're just plain downright where people are tearing down. The kingdom of God involves suffering because in the kingdom of God, we're going a different direction than with the world in which we live. Jesus experienced suffering. We can expect that. I pose a question, a thought question. How can pastors, teachers, elders, leaders truly serve their sheep? After discussing his going to be mocked and spit upon and flogged and killed, James and John come to Jesus and say, you know, let us sit in your right hand and left hand. And Jesus uses that as a teaching opportunity. And he says, you know, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. The application to us. We're not to be served, but to serve. So how can a pastor, teachers, elders, leaders truly serve their sheep? Is it limited to inside the four walls? In Acts 20, we find that Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus, and he says, you know, care for the flock that is under you. In 1 Peter, he says, shepherd the flock. So a couple of thoughts. How about just listen? Just listen. You no, know, pastor, teacher, elders, leaders, just listen. Ask a question and listen. Where are they at? What are they going through? What are they struggling with? Recently, I was talking to someone and. Uh, after being there about a half an hour, the individual said to me, oh, here I go again, just talking away. And they spent most of the half hour talking to me. I said, that's okay. It's part of my reason in being, being here is to listen to you. And then I said, in light of my listening, let me share some scripture and let me pray with you in light of what you shared. How about a leader, an elder? A teacher praying with. If you're a leader, you're an elder, you're a teacher. You're involved with others. I strongly encourage you to serve them by praying with them. For them, yes, but with them. I don't know about you, but one of the best ways someone can serve me is just to pray with me. So someone has unburdened their soul to you, pray with them. You say, I don't know what to say. Just talk to God. Hey, God. So-and-so has been sharing here, and I'm not sure how to pray, and I'm not real good at this prayer thing, but uh, they're going through a hard time. They're really hurting. They're really struggling. Serve them by praying with them. How about another way? Just time to be with in daily life. The shepherd spent time with the sheep. Jesus spent time with those whom he served. How about crying with? Years ago, Ruth and I had a couple stop in at the parsonage. Heartbroken. got the news that their son, infant son, had just died. Never experienced that. Ruth and I had two miscarriages, but never to have a son born and then pass away. You know what we did with them? The four of us stood there with their arms around each other and just cried. I didn't know what to say. What do you say? Oh, don't worry about it, you know. Well, they were worried about it. It was on their mind. How do you serve them? Maybe just cry with people sometimes. Maybe sometimes we just sacrifice our own plans. We sacrifice our own money, our own goals. To help others. We give up a night out. To go cry with somebody. We may refuse. To use people. To achieve your goals. What do you mean by that? Since I'm a pastor, I can use this as an example. A group of us pastors together one time. You know, we got talking about some things and one pastor said, oh yeah, so-and-so visited our church. He said, I'm planning to take him out for breakfast. And then he said, you know, he has quite a bit of money. I think you know where I'm going with that. I'll groom him so that he gives money to our church. But that was in the context of ignoring someone that didn't have much. Shepherds, leaders, do not use people. They care for people, help them to develop. About just opening the home. Serving someone by opening your home. As a pastor, as a teacher, as an elder, as a leader. Just open the home. Now, think about this in the context of the Roman believers. The people to whom Mark is writing was probably the church in Rome. Service to one another might be praying with Arden because Arden was fired from his job yesterday because he's a believer in Christ. And a couple weeks later, some people show up at Bill and Carlene's door because they're told tomorrow you lose your home because you're a believer in Christ. We're going to confiscate your property. And we go hang out a little with Darlene because Scott lit Nero's garden last night as he was burned. At the stake. So that's the Roman church. And as they hear what Mark is saying. Serve one another. In the midst of persecution. I think that would be some of the application. How about just a call? Calling someone. The person says what are you. What can I do for you? And you say, Well, you can't do anything for me other than tell me how you're doing. I'm just gonna listen. How about a note of encouragement? To spur them on to loving God. In terms of service, are we known as a servant church? How are we serving one another? Are we giving up our plans, etc., to serve widows, the elderly, the lonely? Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are we known as being a servant church? Not looking for an answer, but posing a question. Do we give from our abundance, or do we give up an item or a pleasure to help others? Do we take time to call or visit a sick or dying person? How often do we use the phrase, I don't have time, but yet we watch sports, we shop, we eat out. No, just a servant heart, a willingness to reach out and minister. It's interesting that James says, true religion and undefiled before God is to do what? Help the widows and the orphans. And that was in the context of a day where widows basically had nothing and orphans could do nothing. So you give to a widow, you help a widow, what are you going to get in return? Zero. You help an orphan, what are you going to get in return? Zero. Just having a servant's heart. How can we as a local body of believers serve our community? That is, be slaves to our community. That's a thought question. I want you to think about that for a minute. How can we serve our community, be a slave to our community? How are we sacrificing our plans to help others, to help our neighbors, and so on? To replace them for us. All that over. How can we serve our community? How about opening our home, hospitality? How about helping a widow? by just visiting a widow and saying I'm here to show concern by listening how about adoption some of you have adopted children that's a form of ministry how about marriage counseling oh you say I'm not a good marriage counselor you have a good listening ear and we're willing to share some biblical principles you probably can be you know minister help you know, just the idea of ministry What does being, or what does serve, or being a slave look like for the following people? What does a willingness to serve, being a slave, look like for a husband? You say husbands are to be slaves or servants to their wives. Jesus, the head of the church, says, I came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Guys, try this on for size. How about serving our wives by listening? Don't take us the wrong way, ladies. Most women... Use a lot of words to explain something. That's not a criticism. How many of us husbands listen? Just listen. We think I could answer that in 10 words. It took them 200. How about just listening? Not criticizing women. If they may talk more than men. One way you can serve is just listen. How about praying with her and for her? Guys, one of the ways we can serve our wives is to pray with her and for her. Not only for her, but with her, in her presence. I've heard over and over again in my years of pastoring, I wish my husband would pray with me. Pray with your wife. One way of serving your wife. How about just studying her and trying to figure her out? Ron Shirley. How many years have you been married now? Shall I ask you, Burrow? How many years have you guys been married now? 62. 62. Question for you, Burl. As of, As of yesterday. Question for you, Burl. Have you fully figured your wife out? You just know everything about <laughs> <laughs> He's working on it. (laughs) 62 years you've been at this borough and you haven't totally got it figured out. Probably much further along than after year one. Now think about that. A husband just figuring out his wife, studying her. That's what 1 Peter 3 says. Live with your wife according to knowledge and consideration. Figure her out. One way of serving her. How about taking care of the kids if you have kids at home so she can go out with some friends? I'll take care of the kids. Again, what does it look like for a servant? How, about, how does it look to be a servant to serve for children to parents? Probably the biggest is to obey, to respect, to do chores willingly. Maybe you can serve your parents by choosing to stay home rather than going out with friends. Say, Mom and Dad, I just wanna hang with you. I wanna be with you. I could go out and be the friends, but I wanna serve you. I know you like to have me around, so I'm gonna be home. For those of us who are older, how about just caring for parents as they get older? A way of serving them. I don't think mom would mind this. Mom called the other night, and I could tell she was kind of in a tizzy, and she said, Dan, what should I do? And I won't try to explain the whole thing. And I, I thought, Mom, this is simple. But it wasn't simple to her. She's 80 87, 88, she still reasons pretty well, but things just bother her that wouldn't have bothered her 10 years ago or even five years ago. I said, Mom, if you want to do this, do it. Is it a good idea? If you want to do it, do it. I don't know if I should spend the money. You'll probably outlive your money. If you want to do it, do it. What was I doing? I was trying to serve her. Just say, Mom, I'll make the decision for you. You have my blessing. But as their parents age, things change. Just caring for them. How about a father serving his children? Time with them. Pray with them. Not only for them, but with them. I'm giving a specific example. Your son, your daughter is moving into their teen years. And as they move to their mid-teens or late teens, they're going to go out on a date with some guy or some gal. And as your son or daughter is getting ready to go, you as a father say to son or daughter, I want to take a little time and just pray with you about your time with your date tonight. And you talk to God. God with your son or daughter about their date. You're serving them. Or they've had a hard day in school and they come home all upset and you say, son, daughter, let me pray for you right now. You know, a form of serving them, just teaching scripture. We could give many other examples. But how about a younger person to an older person? Some of you are in your 20s, some of you are in teens. How can a younger person serve an older person? How about just to be with them? So Josh says, Arden, how about we go out for supper some night? I just want to hang around with you a little while. I want to talk to you. I want to listen to you got some questions for you I'll even pay for your meal Now I want to serve you someone comes along and uh, JT and Jer say to Ray and Sharon you're you're still in pretty good shape physically but uh, you are aging you know is there anything we can do for you we got Saturday free. Tell us what to do. We're going to come over to your house. If you want windows washed, we'll even do that. Just want to serve you. How about an employer? How can an employer serve his employees? I think one is an attitude. I'm the boss around here. You better look. Versus, I'm here to help you develop as a worker to your greatest potential. And I care not only for the job, but what is happening in other areas of your life also. And if an employee does well, he honors that. An employer writing a note of encouragement to an employee no, just seeking to serve. An employee, how can an employee be a servant? Going beyond the call of duty. I find it interesting to observe people. The other day I came by a place of business. I looked at my watch and I thought, this place is just to be closing down and cars were ready leaving. You, know, when I, you get my point? It was closing time or, you know, quitting time. And they were already leaving at the time it was to be quitting time. They must have left early out of the shop or whatever to be in their car and leaving when it's quitting time. An employee might say, well, we're almost done with this job. It's going to require 15 extra minutes. I'm not even going to put it down my timesheet. We'll just finish it. No problem. Just... A mindset of I'm serving Christ. Student, we better skip that one and go to the wife as we wrap it up. How can a wife serve her husband? Ladies, one of the best ways you can serve your husband and in the process serve your children is to respect your husband. And that involves following his leadership, but respect. We say he's not always right. I know we guys aren't always right, but still respect. Tremendous impact in light of Ephesians 5. See, we can know a lot about Jesus suffering. we can know a lot about the need to serve, but unless we take the towel and open it and use it, it is meaningless. Unless we take Scripture and we apply it, live it out, and being willing to suffer and serving, we don't mature. So, you're playing baseball, and you're a pitcher, and you say, Well, I'll just leave my glove alone. The catcher throws the ball back, and you try to catch it barehanded, and a line drive comes at you, and you, oh, I get it. You better use your glove. Unless you use your glove, it is meaningless. And as we think about scripture, unless we apply it, it is basically meaningless. With those thoughts in mind, let's take our hymnals and turn to 432 as Travis comes to lead us.